Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23. We want to take a phrase out of this text and use it for a subject this morning. Paul says, If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. I invite your attention this morning to this term, continue in the faith, grounded and settled. We want to speak this morning on that thought, grounded and settled in the faith. It's been a burden of mine for several weeks now that God has been placing upon my heart that after much prayer and heart-searching, I believe it to be the will of God that I, as your pastor, began a systematic presentation of all the doctrines contained in the whole counsel of God. And we desire to do this, and I believe that it will be the task that we will pursue on our Sunday morning worship service and in an evangelistic manner in presenting all of the doctrines of Christ in order so that we might see the harmony of them all as they fit together. And I believe it's most appropriate that in this bicentennial year of our country, which will be observed next Sunday, that we carefully review what our Baptist forefathers believed to be the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. That if we know what made this country great, and we know what our Baptist forefathers believed, that we examine the scriptures in the light of this, and to see if we are earnestly contending for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. The Bible alone will be the source of all of our base upon which we will base our beliefs. The Philadelphia Confession of Faith will be the connecting link to join us to what our Baptist forefathers believed and we'll use the approach as set forth in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Now, it will be our goal of finishing this task, the Lord willing, in three years. Now, hold your seats just a moment. We're not going to be preaching on the same thing for three years. But, beloved, the Apostle Paul spent three years with the church at Ephesus in teaching them the whole counsel of God. And so we're going to be spending the Sunday mornings here in evangelistic Christ-honoring fashion, we trust, of exalting our Savior and presenting the whole work of God in Jesus Christ. We hope to be finished in three-year project, but because we are creatures of time and cannot discern the secret decrees of God concerning our personal existence, it may be that in his will and providence that we not be allowed to finish this particular task. It may be in his providence that he may move this servant or else call him home to his own reward. If this should be the task, it would be my prayer that God would raise up another servant to complete this task at hand. It is an awesome task when we are faced with the reality of dealing with all of what the Scriptures have to say concerning the great salvation that we have in Christ Jesus and presenting it in a fashion where that men, women, boys, and girls can understand what it is to really know the Lord and to have him as our personal Lord and Savior. So may the God of all grace be pleased to bless us as his people through his word and to preserve us from the attacks of Satan in his attempt to hinder the truth of God. Now look in our text today as we want to begin. 
adds, we emphasize the importance of God's people to be grounded and settled in the faith. And Paul says, if we continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope that's in the gospel. Now, here's a warning. Here's an exhortation. That is always a tendency for us as individuals to drift from a position we formerly occupied. And it was a tendency of many of these early Jewish Christians that when they had embraced the free grace that's in Christ Jesus, to have a tendency to drift back to the old legalism of observing the ceremonial laws. And so I think it is important that in this particular bicentennial year that we examine the gospel afresh and to see just what it is that our Lord has done for us, to make sure that we are anchored and grounded in that and that we have not drifted from that position which our forefathers so diligently fought for, the right of freedom of worship in this country in which that we now live. So I would invite our attention first this morning to the main thought today, and that is it is the duty of we as Christians to be settled in the doctrine of faith. It's our responsibility to be settled and grounded in the doctrine of faith. This is seen in that God says it is his will for his people. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in verse 3, we read these words, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Quite often we spend many, many hours agonizing, trying to find the will of God for our lives. And certainly there is a sense in which that we have decisions in which that we must make, in which that providential happenings come into our lives, that we find ourselves at a fork in the road, and we do have to seek to determine which way God would have us go. But yet much of what God would have for our lives as his will is not a mystery. It is not something that is difficult to determine. It is something which he has revealed in the guidelines or the blueprints as he's given us here in his book. And he says, this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that we be conformed and grounded in the doctrine of Jesus Christ. So it is the will of God that we as Christians be grounded and settled in the faith. It was the prayer of Christ. In John chapter 17 and verse 17, as Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said these words, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. If we're going to be grounded in the faith, we have someone who has prayed for us at the right hand of God that we be conformed into what Christ would have us to be, and he's prayed that the means be used. And those means are the words which are contained in this book. Sanctify them through thy word. Well, how is that? Thy word is true. So let us examine carefully the words of God as we hear them preached, as we hear them taught, and we examine them to see that they contain the wholesome words of life. We sing the hymn ever so often, Sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life. And we believe firmly as a minister of the gospel, it is the word of God which is quick and powerful than any two-edged sword, and is that alone which can impart life unto us and make us what we ought to be. So it was the prayer of Christ that we be grounded and settled in the faith. It was not only the will of God, it was not only the prayer of Christ, 
It was the desire of the apostles that we be settled in the faith. Turn with me now to 1 Peter. The book of 1 Peter, chapter 5 and verse 10. 1 Peter, chapter 5 and verse 10. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Now notice that order. After that you have been called into eternal life, and after that there be circumstances which bring about a suffering, then he says that he make you perfect or mature, he establish, strengthen, and settle you. We need to be settled in what we believe. We need to be settled in our daily course of action, that we not be tossed to and fro with every form of doctrine, but that we might know what we believe and be able to rest our faith upon that. Unsettled people are likened into the, in, in the Bible to two different things. First, in Jude chapter 13, or verse 13, Unsettled people are likened to falling or wandering stars. Have you ever gone out on a night, which is very clear, I haven't done it for some time, I'll have to do that now since moving down here in the country where we can see the stars again. Having come down from St. Louis to you some six or seven months ago, I didn't know that there were still stars in the sky. But I'll have to look at that after being up there with so much smog that we can actually see the stars again. I remember as a boy, though, used to go out at night on a real clear night and lay down flat on my back and watch for those falling stars. You might see two or three. That is, here comes one, and then it just burns itself out. It had left its position and now was no longer permanent. It was wandering. It was falling. The Bible likens an unsettled person to a falling star and warns that we should not be like this, wandering here and there and adopting every type of belief that we hear, but that we should be settled, grounded, permanent in the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. And it was once delivered. It was a completed revelation that God has given unto us. It is not something that's going to continually be revealed. It is something which he has given us in the pages of Holy Writ. It was a completed, finished revelation of his Son. Then unsettled individuals are likened in the Bible as unto children. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14 says these words, that we be henceforth no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men. Well, what are children like? We ought to be grateful for children. Because we were once children ourselves, and I'm afraid there's a lot of childishness in all of us, and God help us that we never lose that spirit-like or that uh, of a child. But yet there's something that characterizes a child, and that is that children are unstable in their thinking. Sometimes they're of one mind, and 30 minutes later they're of another mind, continually changing. And sometimes they find something that pleases them, and then a few minutes later it no longer pleases them. That's one of the most frustrating things that I have as a, past, as a father of four children, is to maybe go to the store 
And my land, you'd think that they had never seen such marvelous things before, that if they just had that, that would satisfy everything, and they'd never ask you for anything else. So we go to the store, and, oh, this is it. If I just had this, Daddy. So, all right, well, that satisfy you. Yes, yes, that'll, that'll satisfy you. So we get some little old toy that you know is going to be broke before you even get it home, and we drive out of the store. Time we get home, some 30 or 45 minutes later, they're arguing over each other's toy, and then the next day, while you find the dog has already chewed it up and they're not interested in it anymore. See, that's, something, that's what children are like. They see something and, oh, that's it. And they grab at that something and then soon they change their mind to something else. Now, the Bible warns us that we as believers are not to be like children. That is, that we are to be settled and grounded in what we believe. And that when someone comes along with a new belief, that we should not just grab at it just as if it were the truth of God. And that we do not forsake that and grab something else and here and here and here where we're continually changing our minds as to what we think about Christ. God help us that we be settled, that we be henceforth no more children tossed to and fro with every form of doctrine by the slight of men. Another thing about a child is that they must continually have something new to excite them. This is something about the nature of a child. The newness wears off so quickly, and therefore something new must come along to excite them. Paul warned Timothy that in the last days many shall depart from the faith, and they will have itching ears to hear exciting doctrines and exciting teachings, and that they will not endure the sound word of God. And it is a characteristic of this age that somehow we have the idea that the things that we have studied and we've read and our forefathers have held to, that these are all finished and we've got to have new things to excite us. But, beloved, the old wine is the best. The old wine which is aged and matured is that which we have a responsibility to adhere to, because much that is new is artificial, much that is new is superficial, and much that is new is harmful to our very spiritual natures. So let us hold on to that which is secure and not move the ancient landmarks. Now, why must a Christian be settled in the faith? There ought to be some reasons why, as Christians, we need to be settled and grounded in the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And the first reason we would submit to you is that because it is the end purpose why God has ordained the preaching of the word. God has appointed ministers to preach the gospel, and the end purpose of that preaching is to settle us in the faith that was delivered unto the saints. Turn now to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. We've covered these verses in great length in our Sunday night series of studies from the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians. But beginning in verse 11, we read these words. He gave some apostles, some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers 
for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness by which they lie and wait to deceive. Now notice that God has appointed some gifted individuals, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teaching shepherds or shepherding pastors for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body of Christ, until there comes a unity in the faith, a harmony, and a knowledge of the Son of God until a perfect man comparable to the stature of Christ is produced. Why has God called ministers? Why has he called evangelists? Why has he established teachers? Why has he given a public preaching of the word of God? The end purpose is that we might be settled and grounded in the faith. If we are not becoming settled and grounded in the faith, then we are casting off that which God has appointed for our own welfare. The word of God is likened in the scriptures as a fire and as a hammer. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 29, the Bible says, Is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? Why is it, what is a hammer used for? Why do we use such an instrument? We use it to take a nail and to fasten two boards together, usually. And as the blows of a hammer fasten the nails to a building, so the words of the minister, now hear me, are designed to fasten you more and more to Christ. That as that nail goes through that wood and it attaches you and it, and it grounds you or it grounds that piece of wood to another. So the preaching of the gospel, God has designed it that the words which are set forth are to be wholesome and pure and to attach you more and more to the person of Christ, that you might exhibit more of his grace to others. This is the end purpose of the ministry of the gospel. This is the grand design of preaching. Preaching is not only for the enlightening of lost sinners, but it's for the establishment of Christians. And I fear that in our modern age that somehow nearly all of our preaching has a connotation, it's just for the unsaved, but that isn't so. The word of God is to go forth, and it not only enlightens the non-Christian, but it is to ground and settle the Christian, where that we be not like the wandering stars, wandering here and there with every form of doctrine and belief that comes along, that we be not like children always grasping at new things because we are not content with the old, but that we are to be grounded in the faith not only to guide individuals in the right way, but to keep them in the right way. Another reason why we ought to be grounded and settled in the faith is because there are so many things to unsettle us. I don't know about you, but I find this a very trying age in which to live in. I find that everything may be going along perfectly smooth one day, and the next day many things can come along to unsettle that process. 
And beloved, because we need to be settled is because there are so many things that unsettle us. And we need to be attached to Christ in strong living faith to be able to deal with these matters when they come into our lives. And if you have not yet experienced any of these, such as financial difficulty, loss of health, maybe a job uh, transfer or something like this, then there's going to come eventually in your own life issues that you're going to have to deal with. And may God help you to be settled enough in the faith to be able to grasp with these issues. First John chapter 2 and verse 26. Turn there if you have your scriptures open. First John chapter 2 and verse 26. He says, I'm writing these things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. The word seduce is planeo, and it means to lead astray, to lead astray. Now then we can turn over to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. The same writer says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Now to get the connection. He says there are people who would seduce you or lead you astray. And he says, try the spirits, because there are many false teachers or false prophets which have gone out into the world. Now we invite your attention to the 20th chapter of Acts. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. We need to be settled and grounded in the faith because there are so many who would unsettle us. In Acts chapter 20, we have the account of Paul leaving the church here at Ephesus, and he's saying goodbye to these elders that are there in the church, beginning in verse 28. I think that for maybe a purpose in our lesson, that we ought to read verse 27. Acts chapter 20 and verse 27, he says to these in his departure, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. That's one of the duties of a faithful pastor, that he hold back nothing that is contained in the scriptures. And I know men that are in the pulpits today, men that from the outside are very good men, but have said and in private conference have told me that there are portions of the Bible which they dare not preach. I only say God pity them. God pity them. They say that there are certain individuals in their church that if they preached on that, why, they would have a fit. My friend, they are not a faithful minister to God's calling if they do not preach the entire counsel, all that's contained in the Word of God. Paul says, I didn't, I shun, didn't shun anything. I declared unto you all the counsel of God. And wherefore, he could say in verse 26, I testify unto you this day, I am free or pure from the blood of all men. A man who will not proclaim all the counsel of God will stand before God one day and give an account of the souls that have been entrusted into his care. But now look, he's leaving them and he says, he gives them a warning. He's been three years, night and day, laboring with tears with this congregation and he says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. 
And of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that for the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul says, I'm giving you a warning. I've taught you now night and day for three years, but I want you to watch. Because when I leave, I know that there's going to be outsiders which are going to come in and they're going to deceive. And he says, not only that, there will be individuals from within the congregation which shall rise up and lead others astray. So there's always this danger of drifting, leaving a position and not clinging to that which is truth. We need to be settled because there are so many people today who would unsettle us in the things of God. We need to be settled in the word of God because we can never grow in Christ until we are settled. We are commanded in Ephesians 4.15 to grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. How many of you like to piddle around in the garden? Let me see your hands. Are you gardeners? A few of you. You like flowers? My wife and I, we piddle around a little bit. That's about all we do. We, if you want any flowers killed, why bring them over to our house and we'll be glad to bury them for you. That's about all that we get done, is that somehow that when we plant them, why they don't always live. But we've learned one thing, and that is this about growing. There can be no growing in an unsettled state when a plant is being continually removed from one location to another. It will never thrive. I remember uh, when I was a boy, mother gave me some petunias or something like that to plant. They came up. So I thought, well... My, they're all here together. I'll put them all around the house. So I went out and dug them out and put one over here on this corner, one over here on this corner, and so forth. And then the next day I went back out and I said, well, now they don't look too good right there. I think I'll move them over here behind the garage. That way they'll, they'll be really pretty over there. So I unplanted them again and took them over there. Went out the next day and they were dead. I couldn't figure out what had happened. What was going on? There can be no growth progressing when something is continually being replanted from one position to another. Now, what am I getting at? There can be no growing up and maturing in the things of Christ where we reflect Christ to a lost generation if we are being transplanted from one belief into another continually. That is, somebody comes along on the radio and this sounds good, so we adopt that. And then we turn over here on this TV channel, this person says this, that sounds good, so we adopt that. And continually we're going from one belief unto another and there isn't any maturing in the knowledge of Christ. Here we are commanded to grow in the knowledge of Christ, but we cannot grow if we are in an unsettled unpermanent state. If we are unsettled, we can grow no more than a bone can grow which is out of joint in the body. That's why that when the bone is broken, it must be set back in its proper place so that it might continue to grow. And if that 
joint, if that bone is out of joint, it cannot grow. And that is why we need to be settled in order to grow in the things of Christ. You know, when we go to school, we learn some of what is called the fundamentals, the ABCs, some of the reading, writing, and arithmetic. And our teachers establish a foundation upon which to impart superior knowledge later on. And our need in this particular generation is a return to the fundamentals of Christianity to build upon them so that when they're laid, these foundational principles that we can begin to mature into the knowledge of a mature person in Christ and reflect him to others. We need to be settled in order to exhibit pure Christianity to our fellow man. James chapter 1 and verse 27, the apostle says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. Or what is it, James? To visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Now, did you get what pure religion is? True religion? True religion is not standing on the courthouse out here and telling everybody what a good Christian we are. True religion is putting our Christianity into effect and relieving the suffering of the fatherless or the orphans and the widows and keeping ourselves unspotted from the things of the world. In other words, if we say we have faith, then that faith ought to be working out in daily, practical, day-by-day Christian living. Pure religion before God. Before we can exhibit pure Christianity, we have to be grounded into what pure Christianity really is. And may I say this to those of you you say, well, Pastor, I just can't have any part, it seems like, in the Lord's work. I just don't know what the Lord's work is, and I can't come to all the services of the church, and yet I just feel like somehow I'm not serving the Lord. You find out what your position in life is, and then you serve the Lord in that position. Somehow, I don't know who's to blame, whether it's ministers or who it is, but somehow we've established a wrong connotation that all the Lord's work goes on here, and then, I guess it's whoever else's work goes on outside of the church building. But that's a false connotation, my friend. If you have a job, and God has placed you in that job, you serve him there. That is your work. We somehow get the idea, well, when I'm... Going to church, I'm doing the Lord's work, but now then when I punch in on Monday morning, I'm doing my work. This is a false connotation that's, that's, that's somehow been separated in our thinking. When God created man, he placed him in the garden, and his responsibility was to till the garden and to watch over and protect the interest of the earth. If God's called you to be uh, a salesman in a store then you do the best that you can do for the glory of God. Serve him there. If God's called you to be a farmer, then you go out and you till that farm and you know that you are serving him and that you're glorifying him in doing so. We cannot make this artificial distinction that, well, here I'm doing the Lord's work and here I'm doing my work. Whatsoever you eat, drink, and do, do what? Do all to the glory of God. There it is. 
rather than trying to say, well, because I can't come to all the services, therefore I'm not doing the Lord's work. My friend, let us have an understanding of what the Lord's work really is. It is pure religion, day-by-day Christianity that is exhibited and is exemplified by relieving the suffering of the fatherless or the orphans, the widows, practical things that we can do day in and day out. When a Christian becomes settled, he becomes zealous for God's truth and proves his faith by his actions. I've also learned something else since coming to the country, and that is when the milk settles, it turns to cream. (laughs) When the milk settles, it turns to cream. And when Christians are settled in their life, the cream of Christ comes to the top. And there's a richness in their life that begins to manifest itself, but it's not until there's a settledness. You can take that jar of milk and shake it a few times, and you can't tell the cream from the milk, if you want to word it like that. You let it sit for a few hours, and that cream rises to the top. What's happening? It's settled. And when Paul would say that we be grounded and settled in the faith, when that happens, there is a richness that begins to come to reflect Christ in our lives. But all the unsettledness that exists throughout my life, and I see others throughout the land today, only manifest that we need a return to exhibiting pure Christianity in our life. Then finally, we need to be settled in the faith, because those who are not settled in the faith will never suffer for it. If we are not settled in the faith, we'll never suffer for the faith. Martyrs are not made out of unsettled Christians, but individuals of strong convictions. Suppose you had been called on in time past into that Colosseum there in Rome. There was the multitudes around about you, tens of thousands of people cheering for your destruction if you were a Christian. And the soldier comes out and he says, now, you're a Christian. Right? And you bow, nod your head. All right, we know that you will not give allegiance to Caesar. Now, we're not going to ask you to renounce your Christianity. All we're going to ask you to do is just bow to Caesar, and then you can go on and be a Christian. So you can do that right now, and you take your wife and your children and go right on your way. That's all we ask. Now, I ask you, what would you do? Would you bow to Caesar? An unsettled person is a person of weak convictions and therefore will not die a martyr's death. If you want to read a book that will put something in your backbone, read Fox's book of Christian Martyrs and see what men and women have suffered down through the ages because of their faith in Christ. There in those accounts of those early Christians in which that the mothers would say, No, we have no Lord but Jesus. We will not bow to Caesar. And then to hear that bloodthirsty crowd, Away with the Christians! Away with the Christians! 
and released the lions on them, and mothers watched their infants torn from their arms and torn apart. And all they had to do was just bow down to Caesar and say, Hail Caesar. And then they could have gone on their way and been a Christian. That's all they had to do. But they would not do so. My friend, I say those type of people were settled in what they believed. They were willing to pay a great sacrifice in order to have the privilege of serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Martyrs are made up of people of strong determinations and convictions. The unsettled are always in suspense over their faith. When the unsettled Christian thinks of the joys of heaven, they embrace the gospel. But when they think of the persecution that goes with it, they desert it. And so they're always tossed to and fro. Shall I be a Christian or shall I not be a Christian? I want to be a Christian and want to go to heaven, but I don't want to suffer the persecution of mom and dad or my brother or my sister who's over here and they'll make fun of me if I really live the way Christ would have me to live. And so they're unsettled and they will exhibit Christ in sunny weather and then let the rains come and there's a desertion, unsettled. When they think of persecution, they desert the gospel. Unsettled Christians do not consult what is the best way, but what is the safest way. I ask you in closing with this thought. Did our Lord Jesus Christ consider it the safest way to go by the way of the cross? Or did he consider it the best way? It amounted to persecution and suffering. My friend, he looked beyond that cross and he saw the joy that was set before him, that he would rise from the dead, ascend to the right hand of God, that he would have a host of people throughout all eternity who would worship and serve him, would be freed from their sins. Christ had convictions, and as a result of his settled determination, the Bible says these words, he set his face to Jerusalem. He saw the suffering there, but he set with a determined look toward Jerusalem. I must go. I must go. Oh, that God would give us the strength to manifest a practical Christian life in this generation in which you and I are placed. And that when adversity and difficulties are standing right there in our path, that we can set our face right toward those if need be, in order to serve our Lord. Help us, God, to be grounded and settled in the faith. Let's stand together. If you're here today and you have never become a Christian, then what we ask of you is to look to Christ to see your need of him as a Savior. Have you broken God's law? The wages of lawbreakers is death. Do you need mercy? There's mercy in the look. Look unto me and be ye saved, all ye ends of the earth. You're here today now as we've begun this most important, I believe, study of all the doctrines contained in the scriptures. If you're here a member of this church and you're concerned about your own life, 